0: Chapter 4, Part 1 of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes by Anita Luz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Jen Broda. Chapter 4, Part 1 Paris is Divine. April 27th. Paris is divine. I mean, Dorothy and I got to Paris yesterday, and it really is divine. Because the French are divine. "'because when we are coming off the boat "'and we are coming through the customs, "'it was quite hot, and it seemed to smell quite a lot, "'and all the French gentlemen in the customs "'were squealing quite a lot. "'So I looked around, and I picked out a French gentleman "'who was really in a very gorgeous uniform, "'and he seemed to be a very, very important gentleman, "'and I gave him twenty francs worth of French money.' and he was very, very gallant, and he knocked everybody else down and took our bags right through the custom. Because I really think the 20 francs is quite cheap for a gentleman that has got on at least $100 worth of gold braid on his coat alone, to speak nothing of his trousers. I mean, the French gentlemen always seem to be squealing quite a lot, especially taxi drivers when they only get a small size yellow dime called a 50 centimes for a tip but the good thing about French gentlemen is that every time a French gentleman starts in to squeal, you can always stop him with five francs, no matter who he is. I mean, it is so refreshing to listen to a French gentleman stop squeaking that it would really be quite a bargain even for ten francs. So we came to the Ritz Hotel, and the Ritz Hotel is divine. Because when a girl can sit in a delightful bar and have delicious champagne cocktails and look at all the important French people in Paris, I think it is divine. I mean, when a girl can sit there and look at the Dolly sisters and Pearl White and Maybelle Gillum Corey and Mrs. Nash, it is beyond worlds. Because when a girl looks at Mrs. Nash and realizes what Mrs. Nash has got out of gentlemen, it really makes a girl hold her breath. And when a girl walks around and reads all of the signs with all of the famous historical names, it really makes you hold your breath. Because when Dorothy and I went on a walk, we only walked a few blocks, but in only a few blocks, we read all of the famous historical names, like Cody and Cartier, and I knew we were seeing something educational at last, and our whole trip was not a failure. I mean, I really try to make Dorothy get educated and have reverence. So when we stood at the corner of a place called the Place Van Dome, if you turn your back on a monument they have in the middle and look up, you can see none other than Cody's sign. So I said to Dorothy, does it not really give you a thrill to realize that that is the historical spot where Mr. Cody makes all the perfume? So then Dorothy said that she supposed Mr. Cody came to Paris and he smelled Paris and he realized that something had to be done. So Dorothy will really never have any reference. So then we saw a jewelry store and we saw some jewelry in the window and it really seemed to be a very, very great bargain. But the price marks all had francs on them and Dorothy and I do not seem to be mathematical enough to tell how much francs is in money. So we went in and asked, and it seems it was only twenty dollars, and it seems it is not diamonds, but it is a thing called paste, which is the name of a word which means imitations. So Dorothy said paste is the name of the word a girl ought to do to a gentleman that handed her one. I mean, I would really be embarrassed, but the gentleman did not seem to understand Dorothy's English so it really makes a girl feel depressed to think a girl could not tell that it was nothing but an imitation. I mean, a gentleman could deceive a girl because he could give her a present, and it would only be worth twenty dollars. So when Mr. Eisman comes to Paris next week, if he wants to make me a present, I will make him take me along with him, because he really is quite an inveteran bargain hunter at heart. So the gentleman at the jewelry store said that quite a lot of famous girls in Paris had imitations of all their jewelry, and they put the jewelry in the safe, and they really wore the imitations, so they could wear it and have a good time. But I told him I thought that any girl who was a lady would not even think of having such a good time that she did not remember to hang on to her jewelry. So then we went back to the Ritz and unpacked our trunks with the aid of a really delightful waiter who brought us up some delicious luncheon and who is called Leon and who speaks English almost like an American and who Dorothy and I talk to quite a lot. So Leon said that we ought not to stay around the Ritz all of the time, but we really ought to see Paris. So Dorothy said she would go down in the lobby and meet some gentleman to show us Paris. So, in a couple of minutes, she called up on the telephone from the lobby, and she said, "'I have got a French bird down here who is a French title nobleman, who is called a V-Count, so come on down.' So I said, "'How did a Frenchman get into the Ritz?' So Dorothy said, "'He came in to get out of the rain, and he has not noticed that it is stopped.' So I said, "'I suppose you have picked up something without taxi fare, as usual.' Why did you not get an American gentleman who always have money? So Dorothy said she thought a French gentleman had ought to know Paris better. So I said, He does not even know it is not raining. But I went down. So the Viscount was really delightful after all. So then we rode around and we saw Paris and we saw how divine it really is. I mean, the Eiffel Tower is divine and it is much more educational than the London Tower, because you cannot even see the London Tower if you happen to be two blocks away. But when a girl looks at the Eiffel Tower, she really knows she is looking at something, and it would even be very difficult not to notice the Eiffel Tower. So then we went to a place called the Madrid to tea, and it really was divine, I mean, we saw the Dolly Sisters and Pearl White and Mrs. Corey and Mrs. Nash all over again. Then we went to dinner and then we went to MoMart and it really was divine because we saw them all over again. I mean, in MoMart, they have genuine American jazz bands and quite a lot of New York people, which we knew, and you really would think you were in New York, and it was divine. So we came back to the Ritz quite late. So Dorothy and I had quite a little quarrel, because Dorothy said that when we were looking at Paris, I asked the French viscount what was the name of the unknown soldier who was buried under quite a large monument. So I said I really did not mean to ask him, if I did, because what I did mean to ask him was, what was the name of his mother? Because it is always the mother of a dead soldier that I always seem to think about more than the dead soldier that has died. So, the French viscount count is going to call up in the morning, but I am not going to see him again, because French gentlemen are really quite deceiving. I mean, they take you to quite cute places, and they make you feel quite good about yourself, and you really seem to have a delightful time. But when you get home and come to think it all over, all you have got is a fan that only cost twenty francs, and a doll that they gave you away for nothing in a restaurant. I mean, a girl has to look out in Paris, or she would have such a good time in Paris that she would not get anywheres. So I really think that American gentlemen are the best after all, because kissing your hand may make you feel very, very good, but a diamond and a sapphire bracelet lasts forever. Besides, I do not think that I ought to go out with any gentleman in Paris, because Mr. Eisman will be here next week— and he told me that the only kind of gentlemen he wants me to go out with are intellectual gentlemen who are good for a girl's brains. So I really do not seem to see many gentlemen around the Ritz who seem to look like they would be good for a girl's brains. So tomorrow we are going to go shopping and I suppose it would really be too much to expect to find a gentleman who would look to Mr. Eisman like he was good for a girl's brains, and at the same time, he would like to take us shopping. April 29th. Yesterday was quite a day. I mean, Dorothy and I were getting ready to go shopping, and the telephone rang, and they said that Lady Frances Beekman was downstairs, and she wanted to come upstairs. So I was really quite surprised. I mean, I did not know what to say, so I said all right. So then I told Dorothy, and then we put our brains together, because it seems that Lady Frances Beekman is the wife of the gentleman called Sir Francis Beekman, who was the admirer of mine in London, who seemed to admire me so much that he asked me if he could make me a present of a diamond tiara. So it seemed as if his wife must have heard about it, and it really seemed as if she must have come clear over from London about it. So there was a very, very loud knock at the door, so we asked her to come in. So Lady Frances Beekman came in, and she is a quite large-sized lady who seems to resemble Bill Hart quite a lot. I mean, Dorothy thinks that Lady Frances Beekman resembles Bill Hart quite a lot, only she really thinks she looks more like Bill Hart's horse. So it seems that she said that if I did not give her back the diamond tiara right away, she would make quite a fuss, and she would ruin my reputation. Because she said that something really must be wrong about the whole thing. Because it seems that Sir Francis Beekman and she have been married for thirty-five years, and the last present he gave to her was a wedding ring. So Dorothy spoke up, and she said, Lady, you could no more ruin my girlfriend's reputation than you could sink the Jewish fleet. I mean, I was quite proud of Dorothy the way she stood up for my reputation. Because I really think that there is nothing so wonderful as two girls when they stand up for each other and help each other a lot. Because no matter how vigorous Lady Frances Beekman seems to be, she had to realize that she could not sink a whole fleet full of ships so she had to stop talking against my reputation. So then she said she would drag it into the court, and she would say that it was undue influence. So I said to her, If you wear that hat into a court, we will see if the judge thinks it took an undue influence to make Sir Francis Beekman look at a girl. So then Dorothy spoke up, and Dorothy said, My girlfriend is right, lady. You have got to be the Queen of England to get away with a hat like that. So Lady Frances Beekman seemed to get quite angry. So then she said she would send for Sir Francis Beekman where he suddenly went to Scotland to go hunting when he found out that Lady Frances Beekman had found out. So Dorothy said, Do you mean that you have left Sir Francis Beekman loose with all those spendthrifts down in Scotland? So Dorothy said she would better look out or he would get together with the boys some night and simply massacre a haypenny. I mean, I always encourage Dorothy to talk quite a lot when we are talking to unrefined people like Lady Frances Beekman, because Dorothy speaks their own language to unrefined people better than a refined girl like I. So Dorothy said, you had better not send for Sir Francis Beekman, because if my girlfriend really wanted to turn loose on Sir Francis Beekman, all he would have left would be his title. So then I spoke right up, and said yes, that I was an American girl, and we American girls do not care about a title, because we American girls always say that what is good enough for Washington is good enough for us. So Lady Frances Beekman really seemed to get more angry, and more angry all of the time. So then she said that if it was necessary, she would tell the judge that Sir Francis Beekman went out of his mind when he gave it to me. So Dorothy said, Lady. If you go into a court, and if the judge gets a good look at you, he will think that Sir Francis Beekman was out of his mind thirty-five years ago. So then Lady Francis Beekman said she knew what kind of a person she had to deal with, and she would not deal with any such a person because she said it hurt her dignity. So Dorothy said, Lady, if we hurt your dignity like you hurt our eyesight, I hope for your sake you are a Christian science. So that seemed to make Lady Frances Beekman angry. So she said she would turn it all over to her solicitor. So when she went out, she tripped over quite a long train, which she had on her skirt, and nearly fell down. So Dorothy leaned out of the door, and Dorothy called down the hall and said, Take a tuck in that skirt, Isabel. It's 1925. So I really felt quite depressed because I felt as if our whole morning was really very unrefined, just because we had to mix with such an unrefined lady as Lady Frances Beekman. April 30th So sure enough, yesterday morning Lady Frances Beekman's solicitor came. Only he really was not a solicitor, but his name was on a card, and it seems his name is Mons Brossard. And it seems that he is an advocate, because an advocate is a lawyer in the French language. So Dorothy and I were getting dressed, and we were in our negligee as usual. When there was quite a loud knock on the door, and before we could even say come in, he jumped right into the room. So it seems that he is of French extraction. I mean, Lady Frances Beekman's solicitor can really squeal just like a taxi driver. I mean, he was squealing quite loud when he jumped into the room, and he kept right on squealing. So Dorothy and I rushed into the parlor, and Dorothy looked at him, and Dorothy said, This town has got to stop playing jokes on us every morning, because our nerves could not stand it. So Mons Brossard handed us his card, and he squealed and squealed, and he really waved his arm in the air quite a lot. So Dorothy said he gives quite a good imitation of the Moulin Rouge, which is really a red windmill. Only Dorothy said he makes more noise and he runs on his own wind. So we stood and watched him for quite a long time, but he seemed to get quite monotonous after quite a long while because he was always talking in French, which really means nothing to us. So Dorothy said, Let's see if 25 francs will stop him, because if 5 francs will stop a taxi driver, Twenty-five francs ought to stop an advocate, because he was making about five times as much noise as a taxi driver, and five times five is twenty-five. So as soon as he heard us start in to talk about francs, he seemed to calm down quite a little. So Dorothy got out her pocketbook, and she gave him twenty-five francs. So then he stopped squealing and he put it in his pocket and then he got out quite a large size handkerchief with purple elephants on it and he started in to cry. So Dorothy really got discouraged and she said, Look here, look here, you have given us a quite an amusing morning, but if you keep that up much longer, wet or dry, out you go. So then he started in to pointing at the telephone and he seemed to want to use the telephone, and Dorothy said, "'If you think you can get a number over that thing, go to it. "'But as far as we have found out, it is a wall bracket.'" So then he started in to telephone, so Dorothy and I went about our business to get dressed. So when he finished telephoning, he kept running to my door, and then he kept running to Dorothy's door, and he kept on crying and talking a lot— but he seemed to have lost all of his novelty to us, so we paid no more attention to him. So finally there was another loud knock on the door, so we heard him rush to the door, so we both went into the parlor to see what it was, and it really was a sight, because it was another Frenchman. So the new Frenchman rushed in, and he yelled, Papa, and he kissed him. So it seems that it was his son, because his son is really his papa's partner in the advocate business. So then his papa talked quite a lot, and then he pointed at I and Dorothy. So then his son looked at us, and then his son let out quite a large-sized squeal, and he said in French, «Mais papa, elle est son charmant. So it seems he was telling his papa in French that we were really charming. So then Mons-Brossard stopped crying and put on his glasses and took a good look at us. So then his son put up the window shade so his papa could get a better look at us. And when his papa had finished looking at us, he really became delighted. So he became all smiles and he pinched our cheeks and he kept saying charmant all of the time because charmant means charming in the French language. So then his son broke out into English, and he really speaks English as good as an American. So then he told us his papa telephoned for him to come over, because we did not seem to understand what his papa was saying to us. So it seems that Mons Brossard had been talking to us in English all of the time, but we did not seem to understand his kind of English. So Dorothy said, If what your papa was talking in was English, I could get a gold medal for my Greek. So then his son told his papa, and his papa laughed very, very loud, and he pinched Dorothy's cheek, and he was very delighted, even if the joke was on him. So then Dorothy and I asked his son what he was saying when he was talking to us in English, and his son said he was telling us all about his client, Lady Frances Beekman. So then we asked his son why his papa kept crying. So then his son said his papa kept crying because he was thinking about Lady Frances Beekman. So Dorothy said, if he cries when he thinks about her, what does he do when he looks at her? So then his son explained to his papa what Dorothy said. So then Mons Brossard laughed very, very loud. So then he kissed Dorothy's hand. So he said after that, we would all really have to have a bottle of champagne. So he went to the telephone and ordered a bottle of champagne. So then his son said to his papa, Why do I not ask the charming ladies to go out to Fontainebleau today? So his papa said it would be charming. So then I said, How are we going to tell you gentlemen apart? Because if it is the same in Paris as it is in America, you would both seem to be Monsieur Brosard." So then we got the idea to call them by their first name. So it seems that his son's name is Louis, so Dorothy spoke up and said, I hear that they number all of you Louis over here in Paris. Because the girl is always hearing someone talk about Louis XVI, who seemed to be in the antique furniture business. I mean, I was surprised to hear Dorothy get so historical, so she may really be getting educated in spite of everything. But Dorothy told Louis he need not try to figure out his number, because she got it the minute she looked at him. So it seems his papa's name is Robert, which means Robert in French. So Dorothy started in to think about her 25 francs, and she said to Robert, Your mother certainly knew her grammar when she called you that. So Dorothy said we might as well go out to Fontainebleau with Louis and Robert, if Louie would take off his yellow spats that were made out of yellow chamois skin with pink pearl buttons. Because Dorothy said, fun is fun, but no girl wants to laugh all of the time. So Louie is really always anxious to please. So he took off his spats. But when he took off his spats, we saw his socks. And when we saw his socks, we saw that they were scotch plaid with small size rainbows running through them. So Dorothy looked at them a little while, and she really became quite discouraged, and she said, Well, Louis, I think you had better put your spats back on. So then Leon, our friend who is the waiter, came in with the bottle of champagne. So while he was opening the bottle of champagne, Louis and Robert talked together in French quite a lot, and I really think I had ought to find out what they said in French, because it might be about the diamond tiara because French gentlemen are very, very gallant, but I really do not think a girl can trust one of them around a corner. So when I get a chance, I am going to ask Leon what they said. So then we went to Fontainebleau, and then we went to Momart, and we got home very late, and we really had quite a delightful day and night, even if we did not go out shopping and buy anything. But I really think we ought to do more shopping." Because shopping really seems to be what Paris is principally for. End of chapter four, part one.